We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, alongside the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis, as uh, we are having some of the clips of this podcast episode also uploaded to our YouTube channel, which you can subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash socks machine. And of course, subscribe to the socks machine podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts in this episode of the socks machine podcast, we will be talking about the free agency class as another premium free agent side. Dansby Swanson will be living in Chicago, but he's going to be playing for the Chicago Cubs as he'll take over at the shortstop position for the North Siders. And uh, we'll look at his contract, and it could be of interest to the White Sox shortstop, Tim Anderson. We'll explain later in the episode. Uh, we'll also look at the remaining free agents because the White Sox still have a couple roster spots that they could improve upon. So who's still available as the weekend was still busy uh, with teams making multiple signings. Michael Brantley's going back to Houston. Justin Turner has signed with the Boston Red Sox, which is interesting. Uh, and J.D. Martinez is going to be playing for the Los Angeles Dodgers. So really interesting signings that happened over the weekend. We'll recap that. And uh, an old friend is now a current friend. Billy Hamilton as will be rejoining the Chicago White Sox. So those are some of the things we'll be talking about. But at the beginning here, as uh, this episode is released on Monday, December 19, 2022, it's a few days after the announcement of Andrew Benintendi signing with the Chicago White Sox. And we had a whole episode to provide our live reactions, Jim, and how we felt about the Andrew Benintendi signing. After the weekend, how do you feel about it? I think largely the same. I I feel okay about it. I'll feel... Less okay if that is the move of the winter. Like, you know, not necessarily like they're going to make a bigger signing or a bigger commitment than 75 million, but just like a uh, lack of like a complimentary signing, like a lack of an attempt to try to inject some like outside upside into the offense. Like if they stop at Benintendi and the rest is just counting on incumbents, I'll feel less okay about it. You know, I wish that Benintendi had shown a little bit more power. I'm going to be going into his, uh, his home run log and or a deep fly ball log to try to figure out like, you know, why weren't they homers in Kansas city? Why did they show up as home runs at guaranteed right field to see if there's anything more there, but it, it's an okay move and it, it's better than nothing. That, that sounds like that. Yeah. That's literally true. It sounds like a little bit damning with faint praise. Like it's fine. It's okay. Uh, it'll be better if he's like, 1A, or if there's a one and then like a close second in terms of interesting moves that could really benefit the offense more than we think at the time. So the follow-up to that, because I'm going to be sharing a graphic real soon about the best remaining position players that are left in the market, because as of right now, December 19th, that pool has become really shallow for all Major League Baseball teams. If Ben Attendee is 1A, what are you hoping 
could be a possible 1B signing for the White Sox? Well, we, we talked about Conforto on the live show, and he's somebody I don't want to belabor just because, like, he still could be hurt. Like, the physical might not be great. And, you know, Scott Boris is representing him, and so he's going to talk him up. And talked him up last winter and then talked him up, like, as a potential during-the-season addition, and then that didn't come to pass. And now he's, you know, another offseason going around. So I can see, like – why didn't the White Sox sign him? Well, yeah, I'm not going to get to that level of vitriolic just because like he could be damaged good still. Uh, I'm thinking like Lonzo Ball with the Bulls. Like sometimes like something weird happens and just never quite get back to what they were. So that's why I don't want to belabor that too much. But somebody like that, somebody who, you know, if you're getting Benintendi for the certainty, that opens up. A, a room to gamble, you know, room to try a one-year flyer, like, you know, Cody Bellinger would have fit that, like, Cody Bellinger is like a, a plan A, not good. Cody Bellinger is like a an upside-laden plan B behind Benintendi, or at least like a, a option two behind Benintendi, like number one, number two, like, that's more interesting. So I think that's what Benintendi allows you to do is, is take a gamble, and if, like, that right fielder doesn't work out, or that you know, maybe they try it at second base, what have you. But like, if that doesn't work out, you have Oscar Colas there. So I still like the idea of adding another outfielder just to have Colas be that extra bat that break glass in case of emergency or make room if he you know, truly demolishes the International League and there's nothing there for him. That's what I wanted them to do with Andrew Vaughn. And it's not too late to try to do it with Oscar Colas versus penciling him in and not really having a great backup plan if... uh you know, he struggles initially, or if somebody else gets hurt and Colossus is all of a sudden uh, a necessity, maybe even in center field, if it happens to be another, you know, Luis Robert injury. Yeah, the White Sox, I mean, we've been harping that they are lacking starting pitching depth. They're still lacking in outfield depth as well, like credible outfielders. We'll talk about one of the more recent minor league signings because it's a necessity for the White Sox to continue adding outfielders as again there's a gap in the player development for the Chicago White Sox most of the notable prospects are between Winston-Salem and Birmingham there's not enough in Charlotte right now I don't think there's enough players that they have in their farm system right now to build a team uh, for the Charlotte Knights uh, that's that's where the big gap is right now for the White Sox in their depth so I, I like your thinking Jim because on Twitter I tweeted out that I think the White Sox should offer a similar contract, if not the same exact contract, that the Chicago Cubs signed Cody Bellinger for. Bellinger's been bad the last three years. I mean, he has been bad, objectively bad for the Los Angeles Dodgers, and yet he still got $17.5 million because of the amount of interest that really raised his price. I'm okay if the White Sox offer the same because it is Scott Boris and he represents both Bellinger and Michael Gifordo. And I'm with you. I think it's worthwhile risk if the White Sox go in that direction because if he's still hurt and you have like an AJ Pollock type of season with Michael Gifordo, you are not attached to him in 2024. That is another salary that's off the books. Uh, so there's no risk of long-term commitment. But if Michael Conforto bounces back to his 2019 or even 2020 form, Jim, uh, then you could have something really cooking in the outfield. You might be adding another 20, 25 home run bat in your lineup from the left-hand side, and you are adding someone in Conforto who is going to be very motivated to play his best season ever, Jim, uh, because it's going to be the same situation as Lucas Giolito, he is looking to capitalize on a great season, reestablish his market, and test free agency again after this season. And if Andrew Benatendi can get five years, $75 million, well, Michael Conforto could prove to the other teams he's back to his mid-20s form where he was in 2019 and 2020. He could probably get a five-year contract uh, if he can bounce back. So I think it's worthwhile and some will scoff at $17.5 million for someone who didn't play in 2022. I know, but that's the way the market is right now. Just look at all these free agent signings. It's really inflated. And if that's going to be the price to sign Michael Conforto and beat out the other teams of the bidding, I say it's worthwhile. Yeah, I guess it's going to come down to timing for me. Like we saw last winter when Conforto just 
you know, the, the lockout, and then after the lockout, like still didn't sign, still didn't sign. And White Sox fans were saying, Conforto, you know, get Conforto. And turns out that he was, you know, hurt. So, you know, now that we're seeing like his grade of free agents come off the board, Justin Turner just signed, JD Martinez just signed. We're starting to get towards his his class to where like there should be some movement on him. And if there's no movement, like say, you know, through December, I'm going to wonder if it's like the same thing again, where just like they, no, nobody's really buying into him. And it's going to take like a team like the Tigers or something like that, that just, you know, really doesn't have anybody better to play in the outfield to give him a shot just because like he, you know, the, the reports are that bad. So that's why I'm, I'm not really, I'm open to the idea. I'm mentioning him. I'm just short of like banging the drum for him just because that is kind of looming over everything. And I don't want, you know, I don't want to open the door and say, Rick Hahn say, well, we know more things than bloggers do or you know, White Sox Twitter does. And then like, you know, I, I don't like making them correct on that. So that's why I'm stopping. Like, you know, I'll, you know given the way the last winter unfolded. Um, yeah, I, I guess I'll, I'll go with the market here. And if you see Conforto's name start bubbling up with teams tied to him, I would hope the White Sox are involved, but if it's just nobody's mentioning him or there are no, uh, you know, credible rumors outside of like agent driven ones, then I'm kind of thinking it's the same situation where just like he can't quite get back to full strength. No, again, you're going to have to trust that Scott Boris and he's probably not going to provide as far as any MRI information or the type of MRI information you get in with a physical uh, until the teams get an opportunity to conduct that. And you're not going to be able to have that opportunity until the conversations get really serious. And there is some type of agreement that you have a handshake agreement on um, before teams sign on the dotted line, or at least Conforto signs on the dotted line. So there's a little bit of trust here. And maybe you're right, Jim, maybe teams are still not trusting Michael Conforto's shoulder or trusting or taking Scott Boris's word. But when we talk about the premium free agents, if it's not Michael Conforto, like who else could the White Sox possibly target? And Dansby Swanson signing with the Chicago Cubs for seven years, $177 million. I'm not surprised by the type of contract Dansby Swanson signed. I knew that it would be a drop-off from where Carlos Correa, Xander Bogarts, and Trey Turner signed because – Swanson's just not in that level of class of shortstops, but the, the Chicago Cubs promised that they would be shopping in the premium shortstop arena. And uh, they got at least one of them. They really wanted Correa, but they were not going to be outbidding the San Francisco giants for Carlos Correa. So the Cubs will now have Dansby Swanson and Nico Horner up the middle. I don't know what that means for old friend, Nick Madrigal, who suddenly becomes a bench bat for the Chicago Cubs. If that's, uh, for the Cubs, but what are your initial thoughts about Swanson? Not only signing with the Cubs, Jim, but more of the contract and the amount of dollars that he signed for. Well, I had him going to the Twins in our free agent pick him, so I'm glad that the uh, cycle came and went with the Twins missing out on a premium shortstop because it was scary to see them having Carlos Correa and that threat that that provided for a year. And he played well for the twins and like he was an asset. And so I'm, I'm glad that they're going to have to scramble a bit. I, I will talk about that uh, in the segment coming up. So that was my first reaction was like, okay, he's out of the division. Same thing with the uh, Sean Murphy trade, like glad he's not going to the guardians. So, uh, you know, Braves. Okay. You know, shrug. So same thing here with like Swanson going to the Cubs, like, you know, some, yeah, I'm not necessarily like I don't live in Chicago, so I don't deal with obnoxious Cubs fans really in any regard. So just I I don't uh, yeah, Cubs sign a guy. Cool. I, I think it's funny with that. Uh, you know, it does take a little bit of the air out of the Benintendi signing like franchise record 75 million and then the Cubs signed somebody for uh, $102 million more or at least, you know, commit $102 million more to him. And just yeah, it's uh, still very small potatoes. And I just hope that like, you know, now that the White Sox are committing a franchise record to a kind of slightly above average player, I would hope that that might embarrass them into spending a little bit more the next time around saying like, we can't have our top contract going to like a, a two to three win player. Like that's just, that that's kind of sad. So here's hoping, but otherwise contracts fine you, relative to the other ones that like, it would have surprised me. Uh, I think in October, if I heard this figure, but you know, as you mentioned with Turner and Correa and uh, you know, just the, the contracts they signed Bogarts, you mentioned it's relatively speaking, 
proportional to the rest of the shortstop class. Like I was surprised. I didn't realize how good of a defensive season he had. Uh, just the, the metrics were fantastic for him. So you're getting somebody, you know, on the younger side who can you know, solidify a team up the middle. So that's going to help pay dividends and, and buoy his value, regardless of his bat that kind of goes up and down. Like his, he's going to play shortstop no matter what. So that helps kind of like the way Jason Hayward, like was a disappointment, but he, at least he played above average outfield. There was a reason to play him. So, you know, I think it depends on, you know, the rest of the way the rest of their lineup materializes to really just, you know, get the most out of Swanson without expecting him to be like dynamite with the bats. But uh, yeah, it's fine for me that he's with the Cubs. Like it's uh, I, I am interested to see what happens with Madrigal because it does seem uh, unless like they have some plans for Horner that's, you know, that they somehow want to move him to maybe third base or somewhere else to accommodate, you know, Madrigal can only play second. It does seem like the, the bloom fell off the rose rather quickly with uh, that whole side of the trade too. Yeah. With Dansby Swanson signing the premium free agents are gone. Like the top starting pitching free agents, DeGrom, Verlander, Rodon signed, the premium shortstop signed. The premium outfielder signed. Here we are. We're not even January. And it kind of feels like the MLB offseason is over. <laughs> with, with Especially at least the excitement part. Uh, I, I'm pleasantly surprised on how quickly the, the market has moved. And I guess in January, teams will have more opportunities to have conversations regarding any of the blockbuster trades that we really haven't seen so far. I mean, we've only seen the Sean Murphy trade, which you could consider a blockbuster trade because there's a lot of moving pieces in that three team trade between Atlanta, Milwaukee, and Oakland. Uh, but looking at again with our, with the pick'em contest that we had, Jim won the pick'em contest. He got five out of 10, right? He didn't get the tiebreaker. I got four out of 10, right? Cause I did have Dansby Swanson signed with the Chicago Cubs. I did get a tiebreaker. I did pick Andrew Benatendi signing with the white Sox, uh, but Jim beats me and uh, our friends beef loaf and Cherise. Thank you for playing. I'm glad that you accepted the invitation. We'll see how you guys do next year as a, uh, uh, not good beef loaf, two out of 10 and Cherise one out of 10. <laughs> Thank you for participating. Uh, <laughs> one of those are deals. <laughs> What's their home prize? Uh, a shot of a lort. Uh, <laughs> that's what they win. Uh, but again, back to the premium free agents. And again, I've been using the steamer projections for 2023. I mentioned at the beginning of the show in the intro, JD Martinez signs with the Dodgers. Justin Turner signs with the Red Sox. Michael Brantley is signing with the Houston Astros. And that was all announced over the weekend. So your best remaining position player free agent is again, Gene Segura, who's got a projected war of 2.6. The second best remaining position player free agent is Elvis Andrews. And uh, for those that are watching on YouTube, I made a mistake. I did not delete Justin Turner uh, from the top 10. So Brandon Drury would be like the third best position player free agent. So the pool has gotten really shallow on the position player side, which again, circling back to our previous conversation about the White Sox, if you consider Ben one a, and you want the White Sox to sign another player to complement Andrew Ben while addressing another part of the roster. Uh, yeah, you, you the, again, the pool's really slim. The, the, the choices are slim for the White Sox uh, to make that addition, unless the trade market becomes more fruitful than we were expecting. But with Dansby Swanson signing for seven years, $177 million, the thought in my head, Jim, wasn't how does this help the Chicago Cubs? I've always been looking at Dansby Swanson's situation with an eye on Tim Anderson. Mm -hmm. And my crazy idea after Swanson has signed that if you want the White Sox to not be so embarrassed that mm -hmm. they have signed Andrew Benatendi or to a franchise record setting contract of seven years, $75 million. My crazy idea is that the Chicago White Sox extend Tim Anderson. Now Ugh. it is tough just because the games played are going the wrong way. Like had he had a season like in the last four where he played like, 
140 games, 150 games. Like he's played 123, 49 out of 60, 123 and 79 last four years. And then he's going to be age 30. Like it could be a case where extending him now when he might have peaked already is really, that that's what stops me. Like I get the argument for it. I, I like the idea of exploring it, seeing what he would sign for. But I could see a case where like, you know, just thinking about the James McCann, he had two years he was on the White Sox and then like he, you know, moved on to the Mets and, you know, he was a popular player with the White Sox and, you know, some people preferred him to Yasmani Grandal and, and he, there were discussions, you know, White Sox, Twitter and elsewhere, just trying to figure out like, you know, is there a way to keep him? Is there a way to trade Grandal? What do you have to sign McCann for? And then McCann signed for four and 40 for, uh, with the Mets. And that kind of just eliminated the conversation. Like, oh, okay, that that's, yeah, that's unfeasible. And then he's been a disaster for the Mets and, you know, the, there's been some discussion about the, you know, whether McCann could come back to the White Sox, you know, given where he had success. But to me, it's just like a, you know, it's like a perfectly golden two years. Like nobody can speak badly about the guy. Like why ruin that? Like that was a special time they had together and there's no reason to go back to that. Well, when just, it might be, you know, might tarnish the times he had thinking about like Robin Ventura in the White Sox coming back as a manager. Um, I kind of have the same feeling here right now, just with the, way he struggled to stay healthy and you know, the, the bat's good, but the, the walk to strikeout rate you know, d- divide is still massive. And to me, I just see like a guy who, you know, just might lose more of his legs faster than other people. Like, you know, Trey Turner has been fast and healthy. Um, you know, Tim Anderson has been fast, but not healthy. So, you know, will the legs uh, crap out on him faster than you know, Turner's legs are projected to? That's, that's one question I have. And then the other one is just like, you know, Will he be, you know, will that walk to strikeout chasm, will that, will he eventually just lose the ability to hit past that? And if so, like, what does he have? So to me, it's just like the, the drop off, you know, the, the risk of just offering very little, like, you know, one to two wins a, a season, uh, just because whether he's unavailable or uh, whether the, just the, the, the way his game comes together is so fragile uh, for aging. Uh, scares me a little bit for signing him to an extension. Yeah, I don't have those fears. Uh, I I wouldn't even compare him to the whole James McCann situation. James McCann was a scratch-off lottery ticket that won you $50 for the White Sox. Mm-hmm. We didn't like that signing at the beginning, Jim, because James McCann was terrible for Detroit. And then he found his stroke to right center field, and it worked great at guarantee rate field. And yeah, he cashed yeah. in. So congrats to James McCann. But the difference here for Tim Anderson is that this is one of the few White Sox players that they have drafted and they have developed into an all-star. And if you have signed Andrew Benatendi to a five-year contract, and I know I mentioned this in the live show, but this is worthwhile now. Mm -hmm. There must be some conversation that's changing at 35th and Shields. Because if you are truly looking at this being the last ride, and you are given an opportunity in 2024 to shed some serious payroll, maybe go through a bit of a transition here, have a reload type of year, even more significant payroll comes off, and then your younger players should be ready to get through Birmingham and be ready to contribute in the major leagues. Uh, So you'll have some cheap solutions at premium spots, but then you'll have a lot more payroll to be freed up. So you could be even more interesting in, in free agency, but you signed Benetendi to a five-year contract. So that makes me think you're not looking at going through another rebuild anytime soon. And if you're not going to be doing that, then who are going to be some of these players that are going to be on the roster beyond the 2025 season? Because Andrew Vaughn starts his arbitration uh, in 2024. And again, you're going to have Aloy Jimenez and Yohan Makata's contract entering those club option years. And they're not going to be around much longer with the Chicago White Sox. And as we've seen in the free agent market, uh, they don't have the appetite to spend the type of money and the type of years to keep Lucas Giolito around and Dylan Cease and Michael Kopech. This conversation gets dour pretty quick. But with Tim Anderson, now that the market has been said, I think mm-hmm. I'm going to be looking at this more positively. I, I get your fears about 
well, I'm worried that he can't carry a full workload. Out of the entire roster of the Chicago White Sox, even if Tim Anderson plays 130 games, he's one of the few guys that's a three-war, four-war type of player on your team. And the way that shortstops are getting paid, if you would like to keep someone like Tim Anderson around, even if you are maybe thinking about a position change for him when he's in his mid to late 30s, uh, it's going to cost it's going to cost a lot of money. So my idea here, as far as the extension for Tim Anderson, what I'm thinking to get him to sign, cause that is the goal here. Mm-hmm. I like Tim Anderson more than Dansby Swanson. And yeah, Dansby Swanson's two years younger than Tim Anderson. And Swanson has had some clutch moments in the postseason for the Atlanta Braves in the last few years. But overall, the body of work in the last five years, Tim Anderson has been better than Dansby Swanson. So my idea of a contract extension would be seven years, $180 million. You can keep Tim Anderson in a White Sox uniform pretty much for his entire career. He can finally be the face of the Chicago White Sox with Jose Abreu leaving. I would make it a $5 million signing bonus, which would put his AAV at $25 million per season playing the luxury tax game. And then you got Tim Anderson through the 2030 season and he is, he's part of the roster uh, and moving forward for the white Sox, And you can eliminate as far as that question. I know you are listening podcast listeners and those watching on YouTube. What about Colson Montgomery? Ever since Colson Montgomery has been drafted, there have been many that suggested that as he went through his development because of his size being six foot four, and he doesn't have the same athleticism and range as someone like Tim Anderson. If Montgomery wanted to get to the majors the quickest, third base is the most likely position that he will land. I have thought that Montgomery can stick at shortstop if given the opportunity. But with my idea here, I say it's worthwhile for the White Sox to lock up the player that you drafted and developed reset your franchise record for biggest contract ever signed. And if you want to show a serious sign to other agents and players out there, that would be impending free agents who keep thinking, well, the Chicago White Sox are never going to offer serious money. This is serious money. And you would be locking up one of the best players on the team. And if you want to regain trust from the fan base, I can't think of a better way of keeping Tim Anderson for the long term. So let me look at Anderson real quick. Like with that contract, does that contract start in 25? So this contract would wipe out. My idea would be wiping out his club option next year. So instead of the 14 and a half million, just pay him $25 million. And again, this would entice him to sign because he could, he could say no, right? If you talk to him right now, maybe his thinking is I'm going to crush the next two years and I'm going to enter free agency. And people will say, well, then you'll be 32 years old. Well, Marcus Simeon was 31 years old and signed a seven-year, $175 million contract with the Texas Rangers. So if Anderson's an all-star shortstop the next two years, yeah, he may not get a seven-year contract, but he's going to probably be worth more than $25 million a season. Okay. Because uh, a couple of things with the Swanson comparison. Uh, you know, Swanson will be 29 next year. Anderson the year he begins, that extension will be 31. So there's that. The other thing with Swanson is last three years, 60 games out of 60, then 160 and 162. So I think yes, that's- he does you know, play every day. Yeah. So I think that's really, you know, when it comes to, you know, which one is worth more than the other, I think Anderson is the better player, but I think availability is a part of the package, especially like up the middle when you're talking about like a key defensive performance and how that affects like the way your team uh, come, you know, uh, coalesces you know around your pitching staff i think is a big part of it so that's why like i'm not as enthusiastic and the mccann thing wasn't like for the mccann type player but just more along the lines of, like you know they, they didn't ask too much you know it was like a nice golden career like where it ended was the perfect place to end and with anderson like i'm just wondering like you know is after age 31 will that be like the right time for it to end like you know there may be a better comparison uh, in terms of just like similar 
staying with the White Sox was Alexi Ramirez, who basically like he had that sign that extension and carried him through age 33. And like he tailed off his last year. Um, but otherwise, like it was just a nice little White Sox career he had, like perfectly timed. And then like he was done after 34. Uh, but he played every day, too. Like he was always good for 150 games uh, plus every year. So that's kind of what it comes down to. It's just like, you know, I, I think the difference between the Benintendi in the Anderson one, uh, when it comes to like the deals and like the representing records is I think the White Sox were willing to set their record or nudge the bar ever so slightly higher because I don't think Benintendi runs the risk of being an albatross or like somebody who just like completely weighs down the books. I think he's going to be okay. And I think, you know, most teams will look at like an okay outfielder and say like, eh, he's worth 50 million. I guess, you know, they really won't think about it too much. They won't want him on their books necessarily, but just, you know, you kind of shrug it and say like, oh, he's there, you know, he's there till age 33 or age 32. I think it's covers 28 through 32. Uh, a team might want to trade for it later, just feeling like they could, you know, he could plug a hole in as a platoon bat. Like, I don't think the White Sox are going to feel saddled down by that as they would for like 7 180. I think that's kind of what my theory has always been like the White Sox, you know, Rick Hahn doesn't count on going anywhere. Uh, the White Sox ownership doesn't count on Rick Hahn going anywhere. And Rick Hahn doesn't want to sign a contract he has to deal with later. Uh, and, and so I think he's fine with Jerry Reinsdorf's uh, crackdown on contracts because he doesn't have to work, work harder later. And, and I think Anderson at that deal, if he, especially if it starts at age 31, would be one that they would have to try to work out from under later. So that's why I think makes it slightly different from Menintendi. Like I would be happy for Anderson. I think it'd be a lot of White Sox fans would be happy. I'd hope it would work out. Like it would, I can see the upside. I could see the benefit, but just the, Games played and the struggle to play games before age 30 makes me feel a little bit itchy about his ability to play games after age 30. You have no money on the books. Like this contract would not bog down the White Sox because they don't have any money on the books in 2024, in 2025, <laughs> and in 2026. Like it would just be pretty much Tim Anderson. Yeah, but that was the argument for Manny Machado too. And like, you know, Manny Machado was not one of their own. I think that's the difference here. Uh, and it was mm -hmm. also, you know, well, they, they were willing to pay 280 instead of 180, but yeah, it's just, I, I just have a feeling the, the way I think they operate is just like, you know, if Rick Hahn were somebody who had a risk of being fired, <laughs> he just, they might say, Oh, go for it. If it, if it doesn't work out the next GM, will have to clean it up the Dombrowski method and the White Sox just don't do things that way. So I think that's why in this case, I feel like they would view it as a risk of blowing up on him the way like Ben Intendi doesn't seem like it's going to blow up on him. Like you say, like Liam Hendricks, they signed the deal because like if he gets hurt or if it just doesn't work out, you know, eh, it's, you know, 14 million to 15 million or you pay him 1.5, like just they can, they can shrug it away in, in due time. I think Anderson crossed the threshold of being able to shrug it away, which, you know, a big market team would take that occasional risk. But if I, if I'm speaking as like, you know, what I expect the White Sox, how they, I think they would look at it. Uh, I want to see them, I guess they're going to prove me wrong at some point when it comes to spending that kind of money. But I think that's what might scare them away uh, just because that is just a lot of games missed. Well, there's a lot of things that scare the White Sox away from spending any type of money. I, I, the thing about this idea of extending Tim Anderson is if you don't do it now, I guess you get another opportunity next year. But from Tim Anderson's point of view, he's making $12.5 million this season. His club option next season is $14.5 million. All right, good job, White Sox. This is a contract extension that's working out really well for you because if Tim Anderson bounces back and if he plays 140-plus games and he goes back to being a four-war shortstop, Jim, they are getting great value out of those club options from Tim Anderson. But if you have any desire of keeping Tim Anderson in a White Sox uniform for the long term, and as we have seen in the shortstop class and the free agency class the last couple of years, premium shortstops go for $25 million a season, and they're looking at more than six-year contracts with Javier Baez, Trevor Story, doesn't matter what you think of them. Dansby Swanson now, you know, these guys, Tim Anderson probably fits into this group more than Trey Turner, Xander Bogarts, and of course, Carlos Correa. He's not going to be cheap. If you want to keep Tim Anderson in a White Sox uniform for the long term, I think it's worthwhile 
having the conversation now, the market is set. There's not too much you can do about this season because you already picked up the club option. But with the $5 million signing bonus, you can give them a little extra cash for this season. And it's not going to be impacting your luxury tax uh, that much at all. And then next year, he gets a he gets a, a raise, and he's being paid as one of the premium shortstops in Major League Baseball. And I know that he can still be a top ten shortstop, and he'd be paid like a top ten shortstop, and they could help at least as far as with the roster makeup long term for the White Sox. Because if you don't do this, and then after next season, it's uh, Andrew Benintendi and uh, the players entering the Arb years, and the future is still pretty cloudy. So. That's why I think it's worthwhile to have this conversation. Will the White Sox have this conversation is a whole different uh, topic in itself. Probably not. Uh, their spending tendencies will just take advantage of the fact that this is a contract extension that's working out. And that balances out the contract extension with Yohan Makata. That's not really working out uh, where they're paying him $17.5 million this year. And they have to pay him $24 million dollars next season tim anderson probably helps out uh balance the scales there at least in the payroll andrew yeah, i was just thinking andrew benintendi spending tendencies is a good uh tongue twister <laughs> um I, I guess you know to, to close it up i think like andrew benintendi signing for five years i think is a positive sign because we haven't seen the white Sox do a five-year deal in a while for like a uh free agent of any kind like jose abreu signed for six but really on either side of the ball the White Sox really don't like going beyond four years for a player who isn't their own. So good for them in that regard. So hopefully you know, they're, they're, they're willing to wade deeper into that pool. I doubt it, but that just, you know, that's something I noticed. Well, we're going to take a quick break here on the Sox Machine podcast, but after a quick word from our sponsors, we'll be talking about Billy Hamilton rejoining the Chicago White Sox and what that could possibly mean for the 26-man roster next on the Sox Machine Podcast. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. As uh, we change gears here from my idea, maybe a little crazy, uh, to extend Tim Anderson and looking at the free agents that are remaining and how that pool has gotten really shallow for teams across Major League Baseball, the Chicago White Sox have decided to bring back an old friend. Billy Hamilton is back, Jim, as he signed a minor league contract. And 
I have to imagine he is now part of the conversation to be the fourth outfielder for the White Sox. I'm curious about that because like with, if it were Tony La Russa uh, still around, like, yes, probably with Pedro Griffal and who they have, like, I'm curious how they value such a specialist, um, especially with the rest of the outfield yet uh, to materialize beyond, uh, you know, Luis Roberts and Andrew Benintendi. And, you know, we still are penciling Oscar Colossen for the right fielder. Like he's clearly a, a, among the present players available, like he's certainly in the mix, but, uh, I'm, I, I'm, we have no track record in terms of like somebody like Griffal, like how they would manage somebody like him. So I kind of want to wait and see to hear, like, I think it's a kind of a spring training question in terms of just like, how do you use a bench? Like with the players you have, with the players are bringing in to this, uh, you know, between the 40 man roster and the NRIs, like what's going to be the mix here. How are you going to use a player like this? If he happens to be like maybe the fifth best, best outfield option on the team and, and most rosterable. So going back to the idea of like nice and sweet white Sox careers, like, I'm hesitant to go back into that well because like it was easy to tolerate Billy Hamilton's, you know, very uniquely shaped game on a team that won the AL Central going away. And you could like take the great defensive plays and the uh, funny reactions whenever he had offensive success and the smiles in the dugout and say like, oh, what a great guy. Like that was that was perfect. But then like if you're actually counting on him to help you win games that need to be won, uh, you know, that don't make use of his like pinch running abilities or defensive replacement abilities. That's when I think when it gets hairier and runs the risk of like being frustrated with Billy Hamilton for the first time in a White Sox fan's life. Well, there's the new rules though. However, right. There's the, there's the pitch clock. There is the limit of throwing over to first base. The bases are getting bigger. Yeah. So I could see the angle where White Sox fans are excited about the possibility of where Billy Hamilton can help. However, this is a 26-man roster, and you're probably carrying 13 position players, maybe 12 position players. Uh, let's say if it's 13 position players and your bench is four players, that is a very specific situation to have a player like Billy Hamilton on the roster. And if he is going to be your fourth outfielder, uh, the fourth outfielder for the Chicago White Sox play way more games or at least start way more games than you would think that they would. Uh, because after having the conversation, not trusting Tim Anderson's health, uh, Luis Robert is not exactly trustworthy with his health either. Uh, so if Billy Hamilton does become the White Sox fourth outfielder, there's a chance that he could play a significant amount of time and he's not that good offensively. Yeah. He could steal a lot of bases, but you can't steal first base, Jim. So I, at this moment with the players that are on the 40 man roster, I would say the chances are pretty good that Billy Hamilton's on the opening day roster as that fourth outfielder. Yeah. I, I think it's just too early to have that conversation because that's a risk of having him as a fourth outfielder. I think you really have to think of him as a fifth outfielder and having the kind of roster to where like, oh, all positions are covered. And I think that's the value of having like Larry Garcia when he's okay, is covering second base, covering a corner spot, covering center field and a pinch to where like, oh, that's two bench players in one. So you can have Billy Hamilton if like few players need to be subbed out for. But yeah, I'm looking at his numbers from last year. He didn't play a lot in AAA, like because they had those rules of the, at least with the pitch clock, uh, you know, helping stolen base numbers there. But he must have not been healthy to where like he only went uh, five for five in 24 AAA games. So, okay. Um, but, you know, if he had like some insane stolen base numbers, like, you know, 50 and 70 games and with insane success rate because he just had those pitchers timed and with the, you know, with the bases being base paths being slightly shorter, um, you know, can he, uh, you know, make a difference, but there isn't that track record in AAA to think like, Oh, he can, you know, steal 40 bases in a very limited role. Uh, so that's why I'm, you know, lukewarm on the idea. I think just right now it makes sense because, you know, beyond Chicago, they also need outfielders in Charlotte. So, I think he fits a niche right now, but I still think they need to work on the outfield and just treat him as not around and then see how it shakes out when it comes to the actual 
13-man position player part of the roster. Yeah, so you got Victor Reyes on a minor league contract. You got Billy Hamilton on a minor league contract. In a couple of months during spring training, those are two players to keep an eye on how they perform. Because if they do perform well, they got a chance to break camp with the Chicago White Sox on the opening day roster to help out with their bench situation, which is a good time to take a look at the White Sox projected payroll with ben, Andrew Benatendi signing with the White Sox. And again, this is uh, this is my math so far. So the projected payroll, the gray, if you're watching on YouTube, the gray is new players that I am projecting would be on the roster of opening day where tomorrow, I think both Victor Reyes and Billy Hamilton would find a way to be on the opening day roster, sending players like Romy Gonzalez, Jacob Berger, back to AAA and playing for the Charlotte Knights to sign uh, to start the season. And of course the White Sox most recent signee, uh, Andrew Benatendi, the position players right now I'm estimating would be about $92 million for the White Sox. And then when you take a look at the pitchers with the starting rotation, the addition of Mike Clevenger, he's getting $8 million this upcoming season. It is a mutual option for 2024 that comes with a $4 million buyout. So no matter what Clevenger is getting $12 million from the Chicago White Sox, but it is $8 million for the 2023 season and at least $4 million after that. Uh, there are still the, the arbitration cases to go through, and that is going to influence what the final numbers are for the White Sox and the pitching staff, Dylan Cease, Michael Kopech, Lucas Giolito, Ronaldo Lopez. They're all eligible for arbitration. So again, we just have the estimates from MLB trade rumors on what we think could be possibly their salaries for the 2023 season. And when you look at the bullpen and starting rotation, really close in the projected payroll starting rotation right now, just shy of $45 million at $44.8 million and the bullpen at $42 million right now. So the White Sox projected payroll at the moment for the 26 man roster. When you also included the buyouts for Josh Harrison and AJ Pollock is around $186 million and doing more math, at least in the napkin uh, back of the napkin gym. Uh, the White Sox still have a, a few million dollars below the luxury tax. The luxury tax this upcoming season's $233 million. But the luxury tax number also includes salaries for the 40-man roster, also includes benefits as well for the players. So the $186 million, I think it's fair compared to last season to add additional $20 million to the White Sox number. So I'm estimating they're about $205, $210 million right now that's counted towards the luxury tax. So they still have some wiggle room uh, to make moves, whether that's in free agency or trade. But the last topic I wanted to chat with you, Jim, about, so we, we've talked about the White Sox adding Andrew Benatendi, and that obviously helps the White Sox, especially solidifying the outfield. And we talked about all the premium, the premium free agents have signed. I think it's worthwhile to take a quick look at the American League Central rivals. We knew that Cleveland wasn't going to spend a lot of money but Cleveland's got a lot of prospects and they can make a dangerous trade, at least to the White Sox. They can make a, a big addition. They missed out on Sean Murphy, but Brian Reynolds with the Pittsburgh Pirates is still out there if the Pirates want to trade Reynolds. And the Minnesota Twins were big game hunting. They were hot and heavy on Carlos Correa, try to keep him in Minneapolis. That didn't work. There were rumors that they were going after Carlos Rodon. That didn't work. Uh, and they missed out on Dansby Swanson. The Chicago Cubs ended up grabbing the last premium free agent shortstop. And when you look at what Cleveland and Minnesota have done so far, the Twins have signed Joey Gallo, which was the same day the White Sox signed Andrew Benatendi. Gallo's contract is one year, $11 million. The Twins did sign catcher Christian Vasquez, and I do like this move for them, to a three-year contract. And then Cleveland, they also signed a contract uh, Mike Zanino uh, will be playing for the Guardians. And then at first base, this is their biggest addition so far, uh, Josh Bell uh, signed by the Guardians on December 6th. Those are the moves in the American League Central, not huge moves made by anybody so far. But when you look at the Twins and you look at the Guardians and the Tigers and Royals aren't doing much at all this offseason, Jim, are you feeling about? are you feeling better about where the White Sox are? Uh, relative to the other teams besides Cleveland, yes. I mean, I think Cleveland made a couple moves with uh, Mike Zanino, which could pay off well for them. If it doesn't, like, 
they already got nothing from their country position last year. At least Anino can be like a a block catch and throw guy, like well regarded defensively. So, like he basically replaces Austin Hedges with a little bit more upside there. Uh, Josh Bell, I think, could be a good move for them. Like just you know, it's very much a move that. He fits in like they like their you know, switch hitters. They like their guys who just uh, can plug in various parts of the lineup. They got little from first base or DH kind of uh, you know, with uh, Fran Miel Reyes kind of bombing on him and Josh Naylor being, uh, you know, you can match up against him, although the White Sox have not figured that out yet, uh, how to get him out. But the rest of the league seems to be uh, okay with limiting him to platoon damage. The Twins, I think, uh, have a lot of work remaining. The shortcut was getting one of the big shortstops, and uh, you know they were in on Korea, but it did remind me a little bit of the uh, White Sox with Machado, like bragging about a second place offer, like bragging about an offer that did not come close to what uh, the guy wanted. Like I'm looking at a quote that Ben Clemens uh, from Fangraphs relayed in a tweet. He said, uh, "The Twins president saying I'm not disappointed in Carlos. I'm disappointed in the system and the game because I feel like we put forward a tremendous effort. I thought we had a great process. Like, what does that you know? What does that mean for like a?" you know, contract offer. It's not like, you know, they, they were working out hard during the off season and, or like, you know, building a roster, just like they try to give them money and some other team gave them more money. So I don't get what the effort and process is. Like I just, you know, it's the way the White Sox took a victory lap for having an offer that was in many ways superior to the one that Machado signed with the uh, Padres, which was, you know, the offer Machado actually wanted. So, you know, that's, that gives me some uh, vibes of like, some stench of failure there. And, you know, they, they got Gallo. So it looks like they're lining up to made uh, trade Max Kepler. So there's some work there to be done, you know, in order to like try to make these dominoes topple over the way, you know, we saw with the White Sox saying the trade market might have more to offer them, but has not yet. I think the twins are in the same boats. Uh, Detroit and Kansas city really haven't done much. It did make me laugh when the uh, tiger signed Michael Lorenzen, because I smirked and then I realized that like, when you look back at the 20, 22 White Sox season. Lorenzen was one of the canaries in the coal mine early for just the season the White Sox would have because looking back at the White Sox Angels game on May 1st, you may remember that as the one where Lorenzen took a shutout in the ninth inning against the White Sox before they they threatened him. And then, you know, Joe Madden panicked and called in uh, Rizal Iglesias for like the third time in three games or something like that. Like, Unnecessary. Then Iglesias struggled, and it almost looked like they had to go through a third pitcher in the inning uh, before Iglesias got over with. But like uh, Lorenzen threw eight a third innings against the White Sox, he got through eight on ninety pitches, and then uh, his other starts, his other I'm looking at it here, uh, yeah, he topped out seven innings against everybody else. So just an ordinary pedestrian right-handed pitcher, just dominating the White Sox, and that happened time and time again. So. Uh, he's now with the Tiger, so I think that'll be a neat little litmus test when he rolls around on the on the uh, schedule, uh, especially if he comes up early to see like whether they can hit a guy like Lorenzen because they could not last year, and it wasn't just Lorenzen; it was a lot of other similar shaped righties who uh, just had their best games of the season against the White Sox. I don't know what the Minnesota Twins do. Like, I don't like their pitching rotation at all. Like, I don't like their starters. Mm -hmm. I really don't like their bullpen. I'm surprised they haven't addressed that in, in greater detail of just trying to add fresh faces to a bullpen that has struggled for years and has been one of their Achilles heels for that roster. Joey Gallo for one year, $11 million. I know there are some that are still hopeful for Gallo. And we, we've had that conversation about Joey Gallo, possibly to the White Sox, when there was that rumor. And there are a lot of people that are thinking that, well, maybe the shift band will help Joey Gallo. You got to put the ball in play. Like, it doesn't matter what shift mm -hmm. that you are seeing. If you can't put the ball in play consistently, it's not going to benefit you. So uh, we'll be interested to see if the Twins could help fix Joey Gallo. And now they're thinking that, well, they got to trade Max Kepler. I don't know why. Uh, they also have injury problems too. So you might as well just hold on to Max Kepler because you're probably going to need him at some point. With Cleveland, they are the ones that still worry me. Terry Francona is one of the best managers in baseball. And that roster, one of the youngest in Major League Baseball last year, totally bought into the style play that Francona preached. And they add Bell and Zanino, which... 
could add a lot more power for the Guardians, something that they were missing last year. And it, it kind of hurt them in the postseason series against the Yankees, even though they pushed it to five games. The home run became very important in that particular series. And they add a couple guys that can hit a lot more home runs than they had at first base and catcher last year. And again, they have all of these prospects in tow and they're ready to contribute in the major leagues. If there's any team that could really pull off a trade with Pittsburgh, I'm thinking it's Cleveland and they're the ones that worry me here that they can make a move for Brian Reynolds. And if they were to make a move for Brian Reynolds, then I think my sights get set lower, Jim, to I hope the White Sox can mm -hmm. make a wild card because at the beginning of the season, I still like the Guardians team better than the White Sox, even if you are an optimistic White Sox fan and thinking that everyone's going to stay healthy and everyone's going to bounce back. There's a lot of talent in Cleveland right now, and they could still get more. You mentioned health, and that's the one thing I can see. Like maybe the... Uh, 92 wins was really like one of the best case scenarios for the guardians because they stayed healthy. Like they were the basically stay healthy team and that, uh, they really had few critical injuries and, you know, the, their bigger problems were under performance that they eventually solved later in the season. So I think they're a team that if they have like normal injury luck, that could knock them back down. You can't count on that. Just like you can't count on the White Sox staying healthy. So it is incumbent on the, uh, White Sox to actually produce, but uh, that's one thing that gives me some comfort is that uh, they didn't like win 92 games and deal with the normal injury luck that everybody else did. Like they, it's kind of like the White Sox teams of like Herm Schneider's peak to where like, why is this team always beat projections? And it's because like they get all the key plate appearances and in, in innings from the, the guys they're counting on. And that's what the Guardians did last year. And if they're able to do that, or if they, you know, whether it's they have great training staffs or they just have like the players who can stay healthy, we have to learn that about them and they have to learn that about themselves. But uh, that's one thing I think is a larger than usual variable going both ways. Can the White Sox team health improve to like a normal level? Will the Guardians team health drop down to a normal level? And that might, you know, change some games and and like projections and and just the the, the deficit which was 11 games uh heavily by itself we'll see right now i would still say out of the three i would still stack at cleveland mm -hmm. the white Sox, and the twins i think that there's a gap between the twins and the white Sox and guardians like right now if the season were to start tomorrow after what we've seen so far in free agency and brian reynolds is still with the pittsburgh pirates that I feel like this is still a two-team race with Minnesota Twins being an interesting third horse in the race. But I, I'm still thinking right now this is between the Guardians and the White Sox of the American League Central after the signings that we have seen the teams make. Yeah, it feels like four games and four games between first and second and second and third, which doesn't sound like a lot, but I think in projections that is quite a bit because projections are always inherently conservative. Uh, so that's kind of how I feel like when Zips and Pakoda uh, bring their standings with full rosters by like you know, late January, early February before spring training, that's kind of how I feel the divide is right now. Curious to see like just how they project the Guardians as well, just because that health is something they have to wrestle with, the algorithms and the people designing them. Yes, and maybe Cleveland has their sights set higher that we won the American League Central, but we haven't gone deep in the postseason uh, in a few years since Francisco Lindor was around, obviously winning the American League pennant back in 2016 and almost winning the World Series against the Chicago Cubs. And they're still searching for their first World Series title since the, the late 40s. It's been a while since Cleveland has won a World Series. Maybe they get bold and maybe they do make a big trade. So with the, the premium free agent signing for the rest of the offseason, that's what we're looking at right now is to see what trade rumors arise and will Cleveland make a really interesting trade that makes their roster better? Will the White Sox make any trades? <laughs> we'll see. We're still waiting, uh, still waiting to see if the trade market will be more fruitful than free agency for the White Sox. Uh, free agency has been a lot more fruitful for the White Sox this offseason uh, than the trade market. But that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening and watching. And you can follow us on Twitter as long as that lasts at Sox Machine. You can follow me on Twitter at Sox Machine underscore Josh. 
for video clips of the Sox Machine podcast and other videos that we do, help us at and subscribe at youtube.com slash Sox Machine. We're over 850 subscribers. Again, our milestone is 1,000. So thank you to everyone that has contributed and, and helped us out by subscribing to the YouTube channel. If you do watch videos on YouTube, uh, check out our YouTube page at youtube.com slash Socks Machine and subscribe to our channel. And the audio versions of the podcast are uploaded to Spotify, Apple Music, and wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy our work and you would like more, you can help support us at patreon.com slash Socks Machine, where our Patreon supporters get exclusive content. They get ad-free versions of both the podcast and website. And when we have new Socks Machine swag in the new Socks Machine store, they're the first ones to receive it. Monthly plans start at $2, or you can save with an annual subscription. Again, you can sign up at patreon.com slash Socks Machine. The Socks Machine Podcast is a production of SocksMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.